guys. Welcome back to the Forking Wellness Podcast. My name is Barry, and I'm a registered dietitian. And I'm Sophie, registered nutritionist. And today's episode, we are going to be busting all of your diet myths. Yeah, this is one that we felt the need to record an episode on because there are so many misconceptions out there. And I've actually seen clients this week who are still kind of asking me, questions um that are kind of myths in the nutrition industry so I feel like it's always going to be relevant unfortunately we're going to have to keep busting these myths yeah and I almost feel like as like nutrition professionals throughout the years like we've all taken on this like burden of these myths and like we're all out here trying to like fight these like crazy accusations yet they still exist I know but do you know what the worst thing is is when other people who are calling themselves a nutritionist are kind of fueling the fire beliefs yeah that gets me the most yeah because it's like you should be better than that (laughs) yeah yeah so annoying because obviously I'm a registered nutritionist but anyone in the UK can call themselves a uh, uh, sorry a nutritionist but it's really important for someone to understand or kind of just make sure they're aware of whether or not someone is registered in the UK. Yeah, so the registration is like that protected kind of like title. Yeah, so the AFN, which is the Association for Nutrition, is recognised by Public Health England in the UK, um, obviously, as well as the BDA, which is the British Dietetic Association. Um, But yeah, anything else? I mean, you know, people could have done their research, they could be science-based um, with a science-based degree, but the registration and the title is kind of what you want to be looking for. Yeah, I feel like it's it's the thing that there are probably a really, a handful of like really, really amazing nutritionists out there, um, but just having that extra layer of going through the AFN just like vets them a bit more properly, but that doesn't mean like, I'm sure there are some like really, really well-researched, um, well-studied nutritionists out there, but that's not to say that all nutritionists are well-researched and well-studied. 100%. Okay, perfect. So um, I think we prepared for this episode a bit differently uh, because we are always doing things last minute here at Plank. Sorry, last minute. <laughs> it's just, you know what it is. It's just like this podcast was something that we wanted to do for fun, that we enjoy doing. It's not our full-time jobs. We both have like different jobs and careers. And then this, we just love doing this. And if it is a little bit last minute, that's fine. Yeah, definitely. But we feel, I think, I guess it's such a lovely way to connect with, you know, our social media followers. Totally. And create that little I don't know, community. Our working wellness community. Yeah, exactly. Definitely. So I prepared five myths that I hate hearing. Okay. And I have five things um, from my followers who have asked me to cover. So okay. You so, dive into your first one of what you're hearing. One by one. Like I'll say yeah. one, we'll kind of chat about it and then. Yeah. Okay, so my first myth that I want to bust um, is breakfast is the most important meal of the day. Okay, so growing up, I was always told breakfast is the most important meal of the day. And do you know what? I never, so I ate breakfast when I was little, but kind of towards the end of my teens, I stopped eating breakfast. And when I used to hear that, I used to be like, shit, like, do I need to be eating it? (laughs) Yeah, I think, I think, I, I mean, like, I get the rationale behind it a lot like start your day off like with a nutritious breakfast gives you energy for the day like 
it's common sense kind of that like breakfast is important, but it's not important for everyone. Like everyone's body is so different. Like I know Mark, my boyfriend, he's not hungry when he first wakes up. Like his breakfast might not be till like 10, 11. Yeah. I'm now breakfast is my most important meal of the day. Like I'm actually not myself if I don't have breakfast in the morning. And I mean, like I wake up, I shower and I have breakfast. Like there's no fanning around in the morning. There's no from that but like ash all ash thinks about when he wakes up is coffee like same breakfast is like second it's coffee first and then like when he feels like eating he'll eat yeah I think I'm the same um but I think that I like on a nutrition level no one meal is more important than the other like it's all personal to your lifestyle so for you your breakfast is your most important meal of the day but for many lunch or dinner or then evening snack might be their more most important meal time of the day. Like your body, um, your body will tell you when it needs food, and you'll kind of know which meal maybe you enjoy the most, and maybe that's why it's the most important. Like I love cooking dinner after work; it's like therapy for me. So like maybe okay. dinner is my most important meal of the day. Well, I feel like for me, like breakfast like sets the tone for the rest of the day. Yeah. And I know, like, there have been times in the past where if I've had, like, a breakfast meeting at 10, like, I'm obviously not going to have my breakfast at 8. So, like, I will have waited. But it just, like, messes up the rest of the day for me. I'm like, oh, like, now should be my snack time and I'm only just having breakfast. Like, it just messes things up for me. (laughs) You have your very set morning routine. Yeah. Yeah. But I think that's kind of where the myth probably came from. That For a lot of people, they do kind of relate to that, like, wake up get fuel for the day sets the day off in a right tone like you're getting organized you feel like you've accomplished something you've had your breakfast now you can focus on xyz so I totally get where it came from but on a nutrition level breakfast is no different than lunch in terms of how your body processes it it's so individual or it's so unique to the individual like when they feel like they need energy they need energy yeah and there have been times where I've worked with clients where I have encouraged them to have breakfast because sometimes they're in that, oh, sorry. <laughs> sometimes they're in that mentality of, oh, well, I skipped breakfast this morning, so I've got room to eat more in the evening. Totally. And that kind of fuels kind of like unhealthy and unhelpful thoughts around food. So it really, like you said, depends on the person. If you're genuinely not hungry when you wake up and you don't want to eat, that kind of says okay there's no other reason that you're skipping breakfast other than you don't really feel like it but if you're skipping it because you're like okay chance to eliminate a few more calories then that's problematic yeah exactly and I mean there is research to say that like people who eat breakfast are more likely to maintain their weight but I would actually go ahead and speculate that that just speaks to their um like healthy habits not the actual breakfast but people People who eat breakfast are probably more likely to be in some sort of like routine, maybe like it, it's built into their work schedule or whatever, but I don't think it's the one meal. It's probably maybe people who eat breakfast are more forward planning and they like to, you know, make sure that they have three well-balanced meals a day. I don't actually know. I'm literally speculating, but I, I think it's not, it's not um, X causes or yeah, X causes why that sounds weird I was gonna say x causes z um that sounds weird too it one like a doesn't cause b I think that like 
A correlates with B, so um, it's more of a correlation. People who have breakfast tend to maintain a healthier weight, but it's not the breakfast per se. It's a, maybe people who eat breakfast are also certain type of people. Yeah, so breakfast is the most important meal of the day for some people and not for yeah. others. Yep, so that's my myth. If breakfast is your most important meal of the day, then amazing, go for it, have your breakfast. And if lunch is your most important meal of the day, then great, make sure you don't skip lunch. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, so my kind of statements all come with a question mark at the end because they were kind of questions slash statements that were sent in from followers. And the first one is carbs make you gain weight. Interessant. Okay. So... On a molecular level, when you eat carbohydrates, excess carbohydrates can be stored as fat. On a molecular level, that's what happens in your body. Mm-hmm. But there is so much nuance to that statement. Yeah, I was going to say, like, if you overeat on anything, exactly, you can store fat slash gain weight. Exactly. So I think, like, on a molecular level, maybe that's been taken out of context and maybe the low fat community has been u- using their that as their war against carbs mm-hmm. <laughs> or their, yeah so the low fat community who like um says you know eat more carbs than fat maybe they're the ones that are like touting that information being like oh um if you eat too much or i guess it, no i got it the wrong way around it'd be the low carb community saying if you yeah i was, gonna, I was literally about to just question that and i'm like did i hear that wrong I'm sorry, I got my things mixed up. If you're eating too much carbs, then it's going to be stored as fat. So people who are promoting like the low carb diet, so things like Atkins and stuff are the ones that are kind of like pushing this message, but it just pushes the message to push their agenda. Yeah. And wasn't there research to say that there wasn't actually a difference in terms of the low carb diet versus the low fat diet Mm -hmm. in terms of weight loss? Yeah, they both had the same weight loss I think at like three months and six six months the only thing that kind of they had in common was that they were restricting certain amounts of food which is why they both groups lost weight yeah both groups were in a like severe calorie I don't know if it was severe but it was severe enough for them to lose weight calorie deficit um so it didn't matter like the foods (laughs) they were eating if it was low carb it was low fat um so yeah carbs any if you eat Pass your fullness cues, no matter what you eat, it may result in weight gain. Yeah. Yeah. Carbs are not the devil. (laughs) And there's so many types of carbs. Like, vegetables actually break down to carbs. Fruit breaks down to carbs. Those are such healthy things. Even things like, you know, whole grains that have tons of fiber and tons of nutrients, those are carbs. And even processed carbs that make you feel good and they have a time and a place, like, yeah that's that's why why I always encourage diversity because you know you can get something different from each different food exactly so now carbs I mean if you just only ate carbs and didn't really pay attention to the other nutrients like healthy fats and fiber and getting your fruits and vegetables you'd probably be quite unhealthy (laughs) but again it's not it's all about diversity yeah I really hate this, like, pitting one macronutrient against the other. I know, same. There's a, there's a place for everything and everyone. <laughs> exactly. I guess that kind of leads me on to my next one, which is fat makes you fat. Okay, I had that one too. 
so we can pass over that. Um, yeah, so I actually love fat as a food group. I think it's the most underrated food group. It really is. But I also think we're a product of probably like the 90s where it was like that low fat era. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know, everything I was, my mom was always buying like low fat yogurt, low fat salad dressing, low fat this. Like, I remember my family used to have margarine instead of butter because they thought it was healthier. And then, like, you know, research came out or, like, I don't know, old research was brought to light. Yeah. And they switched back to butter. And now, like, they just hate margarine. They're like, it's so, like, disgusting. It's like a horrible version of butter. <laughs> it is. And actually, Mark was eating, like, a version of, I don't know if it was margarine or if it was just, like, some weird butter. Um but within the last year, like, we used to have two separate butters <laughs> in the fridge because he liked the way that the one that he grew up with tasted. Like, it was more, like, just familial to him. Yeah. I would always have, like, my thing of Lurpak. And then he slowly started to transition. Um, and now we're Lurpak stands. I like, love that. That's the same. We absolutely love Lurpak. Yeah. So if you want to <laughs> yeah just so good just like toast and more pack there's nothing better um and for anyone listening in america i don't know if we have more pack but it's like the greatest butter in the world Um, not sponsored sponsored which it was um but yeah so that is actually really good i mean there's whole like molecular deep dive that we can do and kind of like the digestion and the absorption process and the way it affects our do a whole episode i feel of that yeah, we can. But like fat actually like is really great for helping satiety and actually curbing those hunger hormones and people who have like moderate amounts of fat in their diet are usually better off at, you know, maintaining their weight and not resulting to binges and feeling satisfied at meal times And um, yeah, so like anything. Yeah. But fats are so beneficial to the diet and often when I work with clients who might be trying to gain weight um, and are slightly underweight, it is fat that they seem to have cut out of the diet because there's that whole fear around fat. But it contributes to, you know, hormone regulation and also absorption of different micronutrients and it really does play so many crucial roles in the body. So it's very, very necessary to have in our diets. I'd go as far as saying particularly for women because of that regulation. Yeah, definitely. And even like when thinking like we have so much research about like omega-3 fatty acids and the importance and the protective nature against, you know, cardiac health and Alzheimer's and neurodegenerative disorders that when you cut out a food group, you're missing out on so much. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. And I just, I know we said this in a previous episode, but like the moment you add like cheese or nut butter or like olive oil to anything, it just tastes so much better. Yeah, it does. And like you said, your satisfaction levels just go up significantly, in my opinion. (laughs) Exactly. And it's, you know, if like, again, like on a more molecular level, it doesn't affect um, your insulin levels. So you don't get those like insulin spikes. So, you know, it, it helps to slow down the digestion, like fat and protein help to slide, slow down the digestion of certain, you know, simple carbohydrates. So your blood sugar stay more stable throughout the day. So you feel like you have more sustained energy and you don't get those crashes and then, you know, burnout or things like that. Um, 
feel lethargic and things. So it it's just so integral into, you know, a healthy lifestyle that. Agreed. Okay, so you fire away your next one because my one just crossed over with yours. Okay, my next one is eating soy is bad. Oh, I remember doing a post on this like probably over a year ago now, but I got so much controversy back when I did it. Really? Yeah, honestly, like so many people argued with me. And I like I like to keep things very positive on my page. I don't like arguing with people. I don't like aggression, like, you know. Yeah, say what, yeah. Um, but... I would, you know, I'll say to anyone, you know, show me a research paper <laughs> to back up yeah. what you're saying, because that is obviously a huge thing for the both of us being that we're science based um, health professionals. It's like, show me the research that, you know, tells you that eating soy is bad for you. As far as I'm concerned, all human or any kind of negative correlation with soy in the human body has only been shown in animal studies. Yeah, can we also talk about, I don't know like how clued up you are on this, but soy in America versus soy in the UK? So I don't actually know like down to like, no, I don't. But I know that like the big controversy with soy is that it it's GMO. A lot of soy is genetically modified. We don't actually know how that affects us in the long run. You know, it's quite new. It's not as natural or sustainable Um but I actually don't know soy in the UK versus soy in America. Is yeah. there a difference? Well, I mean, based on our food regulations, obviously soy is very safe to eat or else they wouldn't let us eat it, theoretically. Um, but just in America, it seems to be so different in terms of like how food's regulated and, you know, animal products in particular as well can maybe have added antibiotics and, yeah. you know, different ingredients that they've been genetically modified with but I don't know how much that differs from the UK in America I don't actually have an answer to that but I do know if that is something that you are concerned about you can buy organic soy products yeah well that's that's what I mean because a lot of I have a few American clients and they're very adamant that the USA is different to the UK and they will have to buy organic tofu for instance yeah, I mean, we can go into a whole, like, political debate. Yeah, I mean, maybe um, not our um, area of expertise, but I just thought I'd ask you out of interest. Yeah, I mean, this is literally just my personal opinion, not founded on science, whatever, but I, like, wouldn't put it... I would definitely, like, trust the products in the UK more than I would trust the products in America, just because I think that the regulations here are a lot stronger, they're a lot stricter, and in America they seem to be quite lax, and you don't know who's pushing that agenda in America, because, yeah, who's funding all those studies and things. That's so interesting that you just said that, so cool yeah so Um, yeah let's get back into it (laughs) yeah but if you are concerned about like the quality of the soy I would just say um buy organic and enjoy soy because it's a fantastic source Mm. of plant-based protein it is Um, precious it's yeah and you know there are like um some studies that say you know it's great for women with menopause because the way that the molecule of um phytoestrogen it kind of mimics the body's estrogen in the structure, not the function. 
So like if men yeah. eat a lot of soy, you're not going to grow man boobs because. You're I so I did some work in an office up north a few months, a good few months ago, obviously before COVID. And they were making coffee in the office and some guy was like, oh, I've switched my soy milk to almond because if I have too much soy, I'm going to grow man boobs. And he was dead serious. Like, I don't know where that came from. And I was like, no. And he was like arguing with me on it. And I was like, I'm a nutritionist. <laughs> yeah. So the molecular structure is quite similar. Um, so your body, it, it can in the sense almost like... Um, trick the body in some sense like protective against um breast cancer and protective against menopause um but it doesn't actually raise your body's estrogen levels so if a man has a glass of soy milk and a man has a glass of almond milk and then we measure their estrogen levels they're going to be the same yeah pre like pre and post yeah does that make sense Yeah. yeah no definitely so basically men or anyone eating soy is is not going to increase kind of estrogen levels yeah it's not going to increase your body's estrogen levels but for certain conditions that kind of lack estrogen like menopause it can almost like kind of trick your body to thinking that there's more estrogen there than not so maybe there's less menopause symptoms or less withdrawal of estrogen symptoms but that's not because your body's levels are actually being raised yeah Yes. Okay. It's kind of weird. It's kind of confusing. Um, but yes, men, you won't get man boobs for having a total oh, like hormonal. <laughs> You're not gonna start like PMSing because you have <laughs> a tofu burger. <laughs> oh, okay. Fab. Um, move on. Yeah. So, uh, we've done fat. Um. BMI is the best indicator indicator, sorry, of being a healthy weight. I really hate this one. Yeah. Um, do you want to start or do you want me to start? Uh, you can start. Okay. So I think I always liken it to portion sizes for some reason because I think it's there because we need some sort of guidance, same as like the portion size on the back of a food packet it's like a guide but some people will be outside of that kind of under or over and that doesn't mean that you're doing anything wrong does that make sense yeah so if you are slightly over um you know the healthy bmi range that does not mean you're unhealthy yeah it's so personal but we need that measurement for public health reasons and i do think it is particularly more important when you know you're suffering with an eating disorder and you are severely underweight because that healthy range is important but it also doesn't take into account our bone structure or our genetics Mm, or our muscle mass like our distribution so muscle weighs more than fat so you could have like a bodybuilder and he could be technically obese Mm -hmm. so I agree I think that we need kind of like a universal measure just for like public health safety and things like that but I do think the BMI structure needs to be reworked and be a bit more lenient but I would only say in the upwards direction not the lower direction I do think like an 18.5 BMI is quite low um and just from experience working with people that BMI like you even though your weight might be 18.5 like for 
majority of people that's not weight restored or that's not normal weight yeah exactly and I think you can't step on the scales and work out your BMI and decide whether or not your body's healthy exactly so I remember working with a handful of clients who felt once they reached an 18.5 BMI that they were fine Mm. but if that's not your healthy weight then you're not weight restored yeah exactly and so yeah, but I do think on the other end, I do think that 24.9 is not fair because I think that, you know, like you said, based on genetics and, you know, the environment and your bone structure and things like that, like, I don't think that we can say anyone of a 25.4, all of a sudden you're really overweight, like exactly. overweight, you're slightly overweight. I just don't think that's fair. Um, I think there's a lot of research saying that people who are in larger bodies um, can be just as healthy. Like if you don't smoke, you exercise regularly, you eat a well-balanced diet, you move, you have low stress levels and you sleep. It doesn't matter if your BMI is 28.5 or 21, mm-hmm. like you're living a healthy lifestyle. And I, I do think that, you know, it, we, it gets bigger into like the politics of, um, you know, being overweight and how you're treated in society and things like that. But I, I think it stems back to the public health criteria being lower than it should be. Yeah. So I don't think that, I think it's it's important to have, like I do agree, I just don't agree that the, the system that we have is the right system. Yeah, exactly. And it makes out a lot of the time that there's no wiggle room and that's just so not true at all. Yeah, and it, all BMI is, is just a ratio of weight to height. Exactly, and I also, like, when you step on the scales and someone's putting all their kind of, you know, their mood is determined by that what, what that number is, I'm like, it's literally telling you, like, you know, it's just your body. It's not telling you how nice you are as a person or how, like, healthy your heart is or how, like, well your brain's working. Exactly. So you guys should all go to the Forking Wellness page because we recently posted a picture of all women, different shapes and sizes, and they're all the same weight. And it just kind of shows that weight means absolutely nothing. Like everyone's body shape is super different. Everyone's distribution of weight, distribution of fat, their muscle mass, like everything is just so different. And weight is a tiny fraction of the overall picture. Yeah. And I would encourage everyone to, instead of stepping on the scales, take a step back and think about how they feel as opposed to that number or what they look like even in the mirror. Yeah. And, you know, I've I've worked with a ton of people who were on a quest to lose weight and, you know, they would step on the scale and the number wasn't really going down, but their body shape was still changing. Mm-hmm. And so their clothes were, you know, fitting a bit better and they were feeling a bit more energetic and, you know, but that wasn't reflected in the number, but their health was improving. So again, um, health is not the only determinant of health and, oh no, weight isn't the only, (laughs) God, I worked all day. Can you tell my brain is fried tonight? Um, that weight is not the only determinant of health. So, um, therefore BMI is not the best measurement of health. Yeah. Nice summary. Sorry, I'm literally like my head is just like screwed on, not tight tonight. Hectic <laughs> Mondays, it's always yes. Okay, the week. 
What is your next one? Oh, no, uh, that was yours. No, you go. Um, my next one is eating healthy is expensive. Ah, oh, okay. So um, I would argue that we've had this conversation before. Yeah. I um, mean, if you go to Whole Foods and do your food shop, then... Oh, yeah. yeah. But you can also go to Whole Foods and get unhealthy food. Yeah, that's so true. I always just think of, like, when me and my sister were living in L.A., we were so bougie and we would like to do our weekly shop at Whole Foods because dollars were like monopoly money. Um, and we just felt so healthy being that we were doing our shopping Whole Foods, which is so ridiculous. And it was, it was obviously before I was qualified as a nutritionist. But there's kind of like that feel that goes along with like more expensive food that it must be better for you. Totally. Totally. But yeah, and I get that, like, where I live, um, there's a, um, a Trader Joe's, and across the street is a Whole Foods, and me and my dad, we would go food shopping together to Trader Joe's and get everything, and we'd save, like, a few luxury items for Whole Foods, mm-hmm. but we wouldn't do the whole shop at Whole Foods, we'd go to Trader Joe's for Yeah, it just feels special, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, like, for some reason, we went across the road to Whole Foods to get a few things and end the shopping trip with a kombucha, because we felt bougie. It's so funny, I love it. <laughs> But yeah, I think it's the psychology that something more expensive is going to be perceived as higher value. And in the sense of food, that higher value is probably higher nutrition, but that doesn't actually translate. Like you can still manage an unhealthy, unbalanced diet at Whole Foods and it's going to be double the price as it would be in any other store. But I think like, I just think process, like if if you're relying on solely ready meals I would argue that's so much more expensive. And don't get me wrong, like, I love a good ready meal every now and then. But I just see, like, my partner Mark doesn't always eat the healthiest. He doesn't plan like I do. Like, he's always, like, he doesn't like to meal plan. I just had this conversation with him and his mom, actually. He doesn't like when I meal plan for him or just, like, set out a menu and do a weekly shop because he's always like, what if I don't fancy that that night? I do that I actually I haven't done it in a while at the moment just because our routine's been a little bit thrown off because of everything but um I would I used to write Ash a meal plan out just the five days and then weekends were flexible but you know if he didn't I'd do that the food shop based on my plan and then if he didn't want what he was having for Tuesday I'd just switch it with the Wednesday you not do that yeah, but he's just like, oh, no, don't get me anything. I'll pop out when I know what I'm feeling. Uh, do you like, know what? I always discourage Ash from doing that because I'm like, you're just adding 10 or 20 pounds to my weekly food job. Yeah. So, as I say, so not that everything he gets is unhealthy, but I think part of like, and I'm using healthy in air quotes, like part of a healthy thing is something that maybe is like a bit balanced and a bit, pla- like maybe there's a bit thought going into it. Um, and I think, like, in his sense that, like, he just ends up spending so much more money because, like, it's always like, oh, this is what I want. And then he comes back with, like, a 12-pound, like, ready meal lasagna that's really fancy. But, like... <laughs> but like- also, do you think that they feel, I feel like Ash feels like this, because I'm always the one that does the food shop, because he doesn't normally pay for the food, that's just how we work in our relationship. He's like, oh, I don't normally spend money on food, so I'm going to go a little bit crazy. Yeah, it's not... <laughs> do you know a- what I mean? Yeah, totally. And yeah, I I agree with that. I think that like, oh, if I spend, you know, 20 pounds, uh, 20 pounds a week is nothing for food. Exactly. You're only getting one meal. You've just massively bumped up our food bill. 
Yeah. I just also like healthy food is so inexpensive. Like tin cans, tinned that I don't really like tin vegetables, but I like frozen vegetables. Yeah, I was gonna say frozen fruits and veg, tinned foods. Um, Yogurt is inexpensive, like there's oats. Like and vegetables are inexpensive. Like I I mean they're I mean like yes, an avocado could be maybe it seems expensive and mark always has this joke like if we used to leave the food shop and be like oh we spent a bit much he's like yeah because your avocado is 50 pounds and like as a joke he always thinks like avocados are so expensive and like that's why our food bill might be higher than we thought but as a joke in the grand scheme like yes they are a higher price point and if you have the luxury to afford them then that's great but like i bought a pack of two avocados for two pounds like, that's a pound an avocado. I wouldn't really say that. And I eat. You get a that's bunch of bananas for, like, 50p, I swear. Yeah. That's also, like, four portions of, like, yeah. So, like, for two pounds for two avocados, that's four portions. And I would say that, like, his bag of crisps is also two pounds. Yeah, well, Ash, like, I can make sweet potato fries, but apparently there's nothing better than sweet potato fries out of the packet, which I get, but it's like, if you are shopping on a budget, it's, you know, cheaper to make your own. Yeah. And he's like, you know, they're only £2 for a pack, and I'm like, but you pretty much eat them all. Like, yeah. Which is absolutely fine, but again, like, if you're shopping on a budget, it's so, like, cheap and easy to make your own sweet potato fries. Yeah, we actually did an episode of Being Savvy in the Kitchen, Mm-hmm. Uh, and we talked a lot about that and also just like having leftovers like cooking batch cooking like all of those are really great ways to make healthy eating inexpensive like okay. make a vegetable curry make a chickpea curry make a veggie chili like I do think the trick is getting savvy in the kitchen so I do recommend anyone struggling to listen to my episode because it is a good one but what bumps up the price on my food shop every week is Ash's meat. Like, I can very easily, you know, live off of tinned foods and, you know, frozen foods. Agreed. Agreed. Um, yeah, meat is expensive, especially, like, when you buy it. It's hard because you want to, like, vote with your dollar and you want to vote for the type of food that, you know, is good for the animals and mm-hmm. you know ideally good for the environment but that does come at a higher price point and then it's like what are you willing to spend are you willing to put that dollar towards what you want I kind of have that um internal struggle a lot like Mark loves a steak and I have no like issue cooking him a steak but I do want to make sure that it's organic just from mm-hmm. my point of view because I know that the animals are treated better and I know that they're more likely to have more like regenerative farming practices and it's local and there's less transport from the factory to, you know, the supermarket. And, you know, you do want to vote with your dollar. So if that's a priority to you, like it is for me, that's going to increase the cost of your food. But that's just, I mean, you have to weigh your priorities and what means the most to you. If is it eating a steak or not having a steak and what that looks like but that's just me personally and he doesn't eat them often so it's not like me buying a certain amount of pound like it's not like it's breaking my bank account or else I wouldn't do it yeah yeah I think batch cooking is a great way to save money relying on frozen vegetables and fruit like yeah berries are expensive but I don't 
So I cannot remember the lot. The only thing I'll do is I'll buy some fresh strawberries when they're in season because I just feel like you can't beat them. Um, but I will always have frozen blueberries and raspberries and it's literally £2 for a pack and they last me at least a week. Yeah, whereas like a pack of raspberries will cost you £2 fresh and I'll eat it in an hour. Yeah, well you have to because it's like gone bad in two days. Yeah. Bad, but like, you know what I mean? It's not as fresh. You know what I found really expensive when I moved here? Um, and I remember being shocked. Grapes. Yeah, again, I, I'll eat the whole planet. <laughs> Me too. But like in America, I don't know. I just found like a grape. You guys place. do like those huge bags, don't you? Yeah, they're, they're like the same price like though. Ish punnets that are like £2.50 or something. Yeah, but I'll eat that in an hour. Yeah, same. Or less than actually. Um, but <laughs> healthy eating does not have to be expensive. You don't have to get organic quinoa with organic broccoli and, you know, I don't even know the really expensive vegetable. Like, I think asparagus has been known to be more Yeah, expensive. I think asparagus is a little bit pricey. But... You don't have, like, healthy eating, like, I can make a really, really healthy meal with, like, five portions for, like, 10 pounds. Yeah. Yeah, maybe we should do, like, obviously when we can get together again and social distancing isn't an issue, like, a cooking video. Yeah. With, like, like, and actually challenge each other to cook a meal for X amount of people with X amount of pounds. Yeah, actually, so funny you said that. One of the girls at work, like, while in lockdown, like, one of their, like, at-home date nights, I hope she's listening because it's a really cute idea, at-home date nights was, like, they had to, um, I forget what it was, but maybe, like, I don't know, like, a random number generator of, like, one through whatever, let's say it was 30, um, and she had to cook. They switched off, but it was, like, you had to cook a three-course meal with only spending that much money for two people so like if you get 10 pounds you have to make a three-course meal for two people out of 10 pounds but if you have like 30 pounds then like god you can make anything but like they like set like little challenges um like that so you know it it can be done like there are a million of those cookbooks either like one pound meals or like five pound dinners for a family of four like they exist for a reason because if you're savvy about how you source your food, um, it's not expensive. Yeah, definitely. You just you do just need to get savvy. You know what's more expensive? Getting KFC every day for lunch. Yeah. Out. It actually is. Getting lunch. Yeah, I was just gonna say like lunch out is expensive. It's so expensive. That's like probably the my most saving in lockdown is Same. because I'm not drinking the go. Yeah, because. I don't have like I always tried to prep lunch for work yeah. but like, sometimes you know it didn't for whatever reason like you get coffees out like exactly um yeah so prepping I think for me has been the best way to um ensure that I have well-balanced meals and save money yeah cool um my turn so the next there were quite a few questions on supplements so we'll just kind of discuss that for a little bit basically do we need to take supplements to be healthy or healthier (laughs) if you have a real deficiency that's been diagnosed by a doctor yes supplements are good because you need to correct that deficiency but if you eat a normal well-balanced diet no you don't need your supplements yeah and the bioavailability of supplements is sometimes questionable, meaning 
we don't well we know actually the supplements aren't absorbed as efficiently as the nutrients from food so food should always come first um, if you're vegan you might need to supplement things like b12 and omega-3 again like barry said if you're deficient you might need to but what about what's your take on like the more herbal adaptogen type supplements to be honest, like, I'm going to be so transparent and just say, like, I've never done the research on it. Um, it's just not really appealed to me personally. I do remember my mom wanting me to look into ashwagandha for her when my grandfather was really ill. Um, he had, like, some really, really weird, like, post-surgery um, complication with the anesthesia that, like, induced him into I remember I uh, you know the story but like induced them into like a weird Alzheimer's state that was like temporary but like lasted six months so weird um if anyone else has ever experienced that let me know it's really interesting um but to kind of help his body like get rid of the anesthesia that was left in his system for whatever reason and to calm him down because he was quite belligerent and stuff I remember my mom wanted me to look into a few different herbal supplements and I just like told her like look like just trust the doctors um there might be a chance that it works but like I just don't feel like we have enough research on like the dosing and the side effects and like and I think a lot of the stuff that is out there is anecdotal totally like there's very and the research that we do have it's very controlled studies with certain amounts and a lot of these products aren't regulated by you know the fda or vitamins aren't even regulated i know uh, like so i just like in a controlled study we might get some results of like minuscule whatever positive effects but i just don't think that we have enough research to say that x helps x and we should all be taking it or else we'd all be taking it exactly and i think if you i mean they're expensive as well like really pricey so you know if you are trying to improve your health put that money into something else like you know adding a few more fruits and veg to your shopping list every week yeah i always just say like there's no magic bullet like nothing's gonna there's no like one thing you could take one thing you could pay for one thing anything that's going to make you healthier prettier stronger happier like that just doesn't exist and I think that the big problem is that we're all seeking that immediate gratification and we're like oh well I'm going to try this powder in my coffee or this thing that's why people do it is because they want to believe that something's going to work yeah and I think at the end of the day like if it worked, we'd all be doing it. Yeah. Like, if it worked, it'd be prescribed by the NHS. <laughs> yeah. yeah, definitely. <laughs> that just doesn't, yeah. I feel like so, we ramble on and do a whole big spiel on this. <laughs> yeah, I think there's a time and place for supplements. Um, but no, like, if, you, if you're a relatively healthy individual and you have a healthy lifestyle and you're not deficient in anything, um, I don't think you need a supplement. I think focus on the variety of food, making sure that you're prioritizing that first. And then if you like can't meet your nutrition needs for omega-3s because you don't like oily fish and chia seeds and flax seeds, then yeah, maybe, maybe you need to look into a supplement, but you should only do so with a qualified professional. I was going to say, and also just check in with either your GP or registered dietitian or nutritionist before you take any supplements. 
Yeah, the only caveat to that, what I would say is women of childbearing age who want to become pregnant yes, um, should take a folic acid and yeah. iron supplement. Yeah. Um, uh, but again, your GP will normally recommend that. Totally. Um, yeah, but that that's... And again, like, it is for your health, but it's also for, like, the child development health. So um, it's just a different purpose. Yeah, definitely. Okay, final two. One each. Okay, this one was submitted. I didn't really read any of the ones that were submitted because um, I had my own. <laughs> okay, we'll have to do, like, an Insta Live or something to cover everything else. Yeah, but um, I had one asking will um will cutting out gluten make you constipated which um i think i don't ever had i don't know where that's come from because i'm pretty sure the opposite cutting out gluten so not eating gluten will result in constipation is that what they're asking yeah um and i think if you cut out yeah so if you cut out gluten and you're not really educated about what gluten is, and you kind of think that maybe that just means cutting out carbs. Yeah, I was, that was exactly what I was going to say. You're going to get less fiber in your diet, which might affect your constipation. But gluten is just a structural protein that's found in wheat. Um, but there's a lot of gluten-free products out there or gluten-free foods like that have tons of fiber in them, like quinoa or brown rice like those are both gluten-free products and they, they have quite a good amount of fiber in them um so no my answer cutting out gluten will not constipate you okay fab um so my last one is will eating after 6 p.m result in weight gain i love this question yeah so i always say because I actually have quite a few clients as well that think they should stop eating. It doesn't have to be six. It could be seven or eight, or sometimes it's even as early as five. Um, I'm like, your body doesn't know when the clock strikes six. <laughs> it's not like, okay, it's six o'clock. We've got to start like storing this food instead of metabolizing it. Agreed. And I mean, like, we could do a whole episode on, like, time-restricted feeding because if I'm, like, I don't agree with it, like, I actually really, really don't agree with it, like, eat when you're hungry. Yeah. Um, don't look at the clock, look at your body, if yeah. that makes sense. But there if, is... Like, if you get in from work at half six and you haven't eaten, are you then not going to eat because it's half six? Exactly. I think the whole concept, like, I don't think it's sustainable. I don't think that, you know, it's it's something that you can truly live by I don't but at the same time like I'd be negligent if I didn't acknowledge that there is some really interesting research about certain time restricted feedings but again that's not the time of day that has to go with like the time between meal periods does that make sense so like okay it's six anything after 6 p.m no because if your if your time restricted feeding window was whatever like it doesn't matter the time that you eat like your body's not going to be like okay it's after eight now I'm going to store this as fat like yeah exactly and I think if anything I know people have different reasons for doing different things in terms of eating but if it feels restrictive and it feels unsustainable and you're not enjoying it that is a huge red flag that something isn't right it's not worth it and we did talk about this. Um, I 
think we talked about it on a different podcast or maybe just like personal research that we've done, but like intermittent fasting um, has been shown to be super unsustainable. Mm-hmm. Um, people voted it as one of like, I think it was like, how hard is a study? I'm really misquoting it, but like, how hard is this to sustain? And it was like a nine out of 10 difficulty level. Yeah, so, I believe that. Um, so, while there might be like some very, very small, short-term, small human trial um, in a very specific type of research participant, white males. Um, that, as far as I understand, we actually don't have female research either. Yeah, it's super, super, super limited, but I, I feel like I have to acknowledge that it exists. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, like, that doesn't mean that we all have to like change our lifestyle. Like, that is not generalizable to everyone, not to everyone's situation. And the body of research is so tiny and the effects are like not really that vast enough to like warrant everyone to do it. Um, And I think it's so much more important to just find what works for you. And like you said, if it feels restrictive, don't do it. Yeah, definitely. Cool. Your body doesn't know when it turns eight or 801. Yeah. Exactly. And eat when you're hungry, and there's no better time to eat some ice cream than when you're eating at night watching some TV. Like, you can't beat it. Like, so just do it because you enjoy it and not because you feel like, oh, it's past 8 p.m., my body's going to yeah, store it. That's, I always say that as well to clients is that food should be enjoyable. It's not just there to serve your body, you know, nutritionally or physically. Yeah. Um, it's an all-round package. I guess going off that, another myth that we can add is food is fuel. Like, Mm. it it is fuel, but it's so much more than fuel. It's so much more. I I say this as well. Like, food is something we have to face every day. So if you have an unhealthy relationship with food, that's literally going to have a knock-on effect and interrupt so many other aspects of your life. Totally. Um, And it's not there just to keep you going from 8 in the morning till nine ten o'clock at night like that's not its purpose yeah so yeah okay so I feel like that was a good episode we covered lots I feel really delirious and tired so I'm sorry (laughs) translated into the way I was speaking very incoherently um it's been a long day um but we made it it's the end of Monday now we get to edit this and have it in your ears by Wednesday yeah so thanks for listening to everyone that got to the end (laughs) yes and um i'm sure we can do a part two on this because there are so many more myths that we can go on about or we can even do like a deep dive into one of them if you guys had more specifics um that you wanted to know about definitely so do let us know um your thoughts and please share with anyone you think could benefit from this episode um share the podcast it really helps us get seen in the charts and we just want to reach as many people as possible because we hope that the information we're putting out is super helpful yep and as always please rate review and subscribe and follow us on instagram at working wellness thanks guys bye